Thank you for joining us to hear today's message. At Faith Assembly, our passion and purpose is loving people to life in Christ. To find out more information, visit our website, faithnewcumberland.com. Good morning. Thanks for your patience. Uh, it's going to probably be a few weeks of bugs, bugs, um, but it always happens. We practice, we we set all the levels, and then all of a sudden we had a mysterious uh out of this universe noise, so we could, it took us a while to track it down, but we did. So thank you for being patient. Thank you for, as Pastor Jess said, just all the changes that have gone on and just being flexible with all of that. So I think you might be able to leave today without having to wipe off the dust off your clothes. So maybe not. I can't guarantee anything, but uh, it's great to kind of be in a, uh, in a finished space this morning. You bring your Bibles today? If you didn't, grab your phones and download uh, Uversion or U, uh, download an app. There's a million Bible apps out there. Uversion is a great one. Bible Gateway is another one. So if you don't have your physical Bible, download a digital Bible. If not, just uh, listen real good, okay? So we're going to look at the life of, well, we've been looking at the life of David, and uh, we're going to kind of wrap, wrap this up today. Um, this idea of playing to the whistle. How many grew up playing football? Hmm? Oh, come on. There's got to be more. Or European football, huh? No? Soccer? And how about, I'm trying to think of what other, field hockey would probably have this, especially field hockey. Where are my field hockey ladies at, all right? And uh, kickball, that's right. Where's the dodgeball people, huh? Shuffleboard, all right, there's no whistles in shuffleboard, but if there were, you know, but playing to the whistle. So our coach would always teach us that you play until you hear the whistles, that you don't give up on a tackle, you don't give up on a play. Uh, I hear, we're learning about field hockey, I don't know anything about it yet, but I hear there's a lot of whistles in field hockey. So Irene, you probably had to play the whistle, right? So you had to play, you had to be in your spot or hit the thing or stop hitting the thing. What do they call it, a ball or a puck? See, I'm learning. So I'm learning. It's called a ball, people, all right? So, um, but you play to the whistle. And sometimes in life, it's easy to kind of, we go through bumps, we go through bruises, we go through, you know, failures. And today we're going to look at success and failure. Sometimes that can be an obstacle to, to our walk with the Lord, to our pursuing what he has for us. And Jesus was reminding us to play to the whistle. There's a, there's a scripture here in Acts chapter 13. That it says this, it says, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he heard the whistle. Not really, but he fell asleep. He basically says that David served God. And if you were to put in parentheses, you could, you could include the things, what, what took place in his life. You know, he had success. He had failure. He had issues. He had this. He had that. He had struggles. But no matter what, David continued to serve God and to serve his purpose until God called him heavenward. And that's what God has called us to do. Don't count yourself out. Don't say, well, I've done this or I've been here. God can't use me now. I'm, you know, I'm all washed up. I'm, I'm too young. I'm too. No, you're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too injured. You're not too hurt. You're not too fragile. God wants to use you right now. Amen? Yes. Isn't that good news? Yes. All right. So we're looking at David. We looked at week one was the, the idea of age. 
Don't let age be a barrier. Whether you feel like you're in a season where you're too young, David was looked down upon. He, was, he wasn't considered to be the king, you know? And when, uh, when the prophet came looking for a king, he was the last chosen. It was kind of like in kickball or in gym class. I won't have you raise your hand, but I'm sure we've had those moments of maybe you've been the last selected. You've been that last, like, okay, I'll, I'll guess I'll take him. Or I guess I'll take her. And that was David. Like, well, okay, king, well, I guess it's not this guy's. I guess I will, I guess it has to to be this one. And David was the last to be picked, but he, God says, you know, I don't look at what everyone else looks at. I look at what's, what's important. I look at the heart. I look at the heart of a person, the integrity of a person. So don't let age be a barrier, whether you're young, whether you feel you're in middle, uh, middle life, or you feel like you're, you're older, or you're a senior saint. God still wants to use you. Don't let age be that barrier. Today, let's look at success and failure. I think it's important to look at success because I think we understand inherently that failure can be an obstacle, right? If someone messes up, if someone does this and this disqualifies them or God can't use them, we, we like to lump people in these extremes, right? There's been articles released recently about different Christians or former Christians having opinions and feeling they're wrestling through things. And some people just write them off all like, man, there's no hope for them. Well, that's not the end of their story, you know. Maybe they're still wrestling with that, and they're still processing that, and we can pray for them, believe God can do a work in their heart. Maybe they're just injured. Maybe they just went through a struggle or a season of suffering recently, and God wants to restore them with, by his grace. Yep. You know what? The same grace that we want God to extend to us, we need to extend to other people. And so this idea of failure, we understand. Yeah, sometimes it's easy to say, if I fail, God, whatever. Maybe we feel like God's never going to use me again. But sometimes success can be that same obstacle. And I think that might be what we wrestle with most in our situation, in our setting today. You say, well, pastor, I'm not successful. I'm not this. I'm not that. Well, look around. We are successful we, you have a family, you have relationships, you have, you know, many of you have great jobs, you have homes to go to, you have, you have a meal waiting for you at home. In the world's eyes, you are successful, you are blessed, if you were to put it another way. You are blessed, or if, if you feel like you're not blessed, I want you to leave feeling blessed today, because you are blessed. God's blessing is all over your life. Maybe it doesn't look like what you thought, or maybe you don't have as much as you thought you needed, but God's blessing is on your life. But just like David, David was blessed beyond, beyond his comprehension. He went from being a shepherd boy to the king of Israel. But you know what? That blessing went to his head. And David began to take some, make some decisions and take some shortcuts and do some things that, you know, and, and he began that success became an obstacle to what God wanted in his life. And the same thing can, can happen for you and for me. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, nope, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter, five. I'm just making sure you're still awake this morning, okay, do I need to make that buzz again, no, no. all right, let's not go there, 2 Samuel, who enjoyed the buzz, can I get an amen, amen. no, oh, we had one amen, 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Maybe you're scrolling on your phone there. 2 Samuel chapter 5, starting with verse number 1. It says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. 
and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Okay, this is David's knight in shining armor. This is his moment of, man, he's worked so hard. He's been here. He's been in obscurity. And all of a sudden, he's, he's elevated to this great place, this great status. He is the king over Israel. Verse 4, David was 30 years old when he became king. How would you like to have a 30-year-old president, huh? No? Scary enough having a 60 or however old the presidents have been lately. But David was 30 years old when he was elevated to this great place, this great status. And he reigned 40 years. Man, David had quite the reign. He had quite the rule. And you can research his life and all the things that he did. But this is his moment of success, all right? And the question is, okay, what's going to happen with David's life? He's, he's reached this place. He's, he's waited a long time to become king. He's fought a lot of adversity. Think of the giants he had to fight to become king. Think of the battles he had to win to become king. And after waiting so long, David could have been tempted to just take it easy and just to allow his success to stop him from serving God's purpose. Have you ever got maybe a promotion at your job and you, you work so hard, you, you've earned the time and you put in your time and you get that promotion and all of a sudden there's a temptation just to kind of maybe just take it easy. Like, man, I worked hard, I put in the hours and I'm just going to take it easy. Maybe there's a season God says, I, I just want you to you know, do your best, but I don't, I don't want you to, to be promoted or whatever it is. But sometimes there's that temptation to just be... You know, let's just coast here, and let's just, let's just keep it easy and, and keep it even. And David, I'm sure, fought that temptation. You know, I'm king of Israel. I worked hard. I have a few years of my life ahead of me. And, but, you know, David knew there was more for him and, more importantly, more for the people of Israel. If we're not careful, sometimes success can stop us from serving God's purpose. What did David do? It says in verse 6, the king and his men, men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites. And it says they went and they took over Jerusalem. And you know what Jerusalem is still called to this very day, 3,000 plus years later? The city of David, right? His legacy continues even in 2019. His, he's, he reaches great plata, pl place of success in his life, in his ministry, in his rule, and he didn't let it go to his head at this, po and the, this point of the story. He continued to do what God had called him to do. It says in verse 9, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty was with him. God's blessing, God's anointing was on King David's life. 
Sometimes our true test for us of our obedience is in times of success. It's in times when life is good. It's sometimes when you get that raise or you get that promotion at work, the question then is, will you give more financially or will you hold on to more? Sometimes it's harder to, to give when you have more than it is when you don't have very much, right? I've heard people say all the time, well, when I, when I, when I get that promotion or I'll, I'll start tithing when this happens and they have all these conditions. If this happens and, uh, you know, I have financial security and this and that, and they have all these, these conditions on God. All right, God, if you do all this, then I'll start tithing. Or, oh, this is my favorite one. If I win the lottery, Pastor, I will start tithing. In my head, I'm just thinking, no, you won't. <laughs> if you won't tithe now on the, the little you feel like you have, you, it's going to be harder to tithe on the lot that God blesses you with. People don't realize that financial stewardship is a heart issue, right? It's not a money issue. God's not like, hey, I need your money. He's like, I want your heart. I want you fully surrendered to me. Here's some sobering statistics when it comes to giving among Christians here in America. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. 2.5%. On average, I'm sure there's some people that maybe say they're Christians or not, or however, but you know, just. But here's the thing during the Great Depression, that number was 3.3%. So during the greatest financial struggle of our, of our recent history, people were giving more to the kingdom of God than they are giving today when people have much more and, you know, extra. People with a salary of less than 20000 people with a salary of less than $20,000 are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes $75,000. Let me say that again, or read that again. These are statistics about giving in a, the American church today. People with a salary of less than $20,000 are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes $75,000. Why do I bring that up? Because it's an idea of success. It's an idea of, man, God's blessed me. I've arrived. I have this. And then it's like, all right, I can do this on my own, God. I don't need your help anymore. It's that temptation that success can become a barrier to the purposes that God has for us. Maybe it's not finances, but maybe it's our time or our priorities. And the question might be for, for you is when you find success at home, when you find success at school or on your team, when you find success at work, will you keep Serving Jesus as your number one priority. Over the last, I'd even say just 10 years, I've seen a scary trend developing in the church where Sunday worship has become lower and lower and lower on people's priority list. Now, understand, Sunday worship is not a definition. If you go to church, you're, a, you're an on-fire Christian, but there's an aspect of gathering weekly, gathering, hearing the teaching of the word, gathering to pray and to worship together, that it's healthy for our spirit. It's healthy for our souls. It's healthy for our walk with the Lord. But it's become less and less and less of a priority. It's become relegated to, I'd say, a number of conditions people have. 
Whereas before, it's just Sunday. That's what we do. We go together as a church, as a family. We go to church. We worship together. But now there's a lot of conditions. You know, I will worship with my family unless I have a game or unless I have to work or unless I'm not feeling 100% or unless I have a party to go to or unless I'm tired or unless I'm offered to work overtime or unless I have other plans or unless, unless, unless. Again, there's going to be times where things happen and we, we miss a Sunday, we're here and there, but sometimes it becomes a pattern and it becomes a heart issue. And God says, I want your heart. It's not just about coming to church. It's not just, he's, he, it's not just about the financial aspect. He's like, I want you fully surrendered to me. And David, he had received and achieved great success. And I feel as, as a country, as a culture, we've achieved in the eyes of the world a great success monetarily, monetarily. We've achieved success career-wise as a country, as a nation, as a culture. But with that comes great temptation to put God on a lower priority. People today are feeling too comfortable. I don't need God. I'm too wealthy. I don't, I don't need God's blessing. Why do I need his blessing? I have everything paid for. My retirement's full. My house is just about paid off. I have a car and... And then we have this list of why God may, may be not as important to us. But what we don't realize is that people around us are overdosing and they're turning to prescription medications and they're turning to depression and they're turning to this and to that to fill the void that God used to fill in our lives. And so when we get our priorities out of focus, when we say, well, maybe it's not that important, or maybe God, maybe success was more my part than your part, things begin to unravel, and the same thing happened to King David. He built up the city of Jerusalem. He built this fortress, and he called it the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, and it says God's blessing and his anointing was upon him. And it says this in verse 12, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and it has exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. It was a you to man type moment. Turn your name and say you to man. If it's a lady sitting here next to you, say you to woman. You know, that's how, that's how women got their name. Have you heard that joke? You know, like. What's his name? Adam, right? The first human. And he saw this beautiful lady that was creating. He said, whoa, man. Ah, no, no. Oh, cheesy dad jokes for you. David was faced with the reality. I am the king of Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm the man. I am the man. He felt like the man. And then he started acting like the man. So is this... Verse 13, after he left Hebron. Think about that. What was Hebron? Hebron is a place of his anointing, right? Yeah. It's a place where he became the king. It was his place of success. And it says after he left, after he departed from that place, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him, and then it begins to list those names. David's great success created a climate of sin that culminated 
in his greatest failure. Be careful. Success, we all pray for it and want it, but sometimes success can be a two-edged sword if we're not careful. Can we handle the blessing success that God wants to bring to our lives? Or will we have one of those you-to-man moments say, you know what, I'm the man. I, I, can, I can do this how I want to do this. I can take the wives and the concubines. Can, I can do this. No one's going to tell me how to rule this nation. Well, something was about to take place in David's life that would begin to unravel his family and his future. At the height of his success, we see in chapter 11, David was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Warrior David, warrior King David, who was at the front lines of each battle, he was, he was leading the charge. He was like, he was braveheart. You will have freedom! He's staying at home. Battle's starting. It's springtime. It's time for fighting. It's time for military campaigns. It's springtime in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. David's not on the front lines. He's on his back seat. He's lounging. He's at home. He's watching Netflix while, the, while the, the campaign, the military campaign's active. And it says that he stays back. It says this in chapter 11. At the time when kings go off to war, at the time when kings go off to war, at the time... When kings go off to war, at the time when David should be doing what he should be doing, at the time when, when God's called God's people to gather and be a part of his, of his business, at the time of that Bible study that's, that's launched, and that's, 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 at, at those times where we know God wants us to do it, but our heart is wrestling with, no, I would rather do something else. It's at those times. It's at that time in David's life. It's at that time when kings normally would go off to war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Success had led David to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. It began to create a heart in David of entitlement, of create a heart of an ego and say, I'm the man. I'm the king. My fighting days are over. He's just 30 years. He's, he's in a prime of his fighting days. This is, this is the time when he should be out leading the charge, but he is at home. And what does he do? He's out late at night. He's at the top of his, of his palace, and the palace would be overlooking the city, and he, he begins to let his eyes wander and he sees this beautiful lady, and she's out there, and all of a sudden, she just begins to take her clothes off, and, you know, and just, just imagine that. Maybe today, we're not standing in our palace, but maybe, maybe today's terms would be sitting in our couch, and it's quiet, and it's dark, and no one's around, and we're surfing the channels, or we're on the computer, and all of a sudden, a picture is presented to us. A channel is presented to us. An image is presented to us. And David, there was no Netflix or streaming at that time, but he had his eyes. He had the eye gate, right? And he's looking out, and he sees this beautiful woman, and she begins to take off her clothes, and she begins to take a bath and says that David looked intently at her. You know, I've heard growing up, 
You can't stop birds from flying over your head. You know, you're going to see people. You're going to see beautiful people. And, 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 but you can stop the birds from making a nest in your, in your hair. Well, I, they can't really make a nest in my hair. But uh, <laughs> if I were to have a full head of hair, and I, I learned this lesson when I was younger. I had hair, and it made sense. To, so most of you, this will make sense. Temptations will come your way. But will we choose to take delight in that temptation or will we choose to turn the channel, turn off the computer, walk out of the room, walk out of that situation? We feel vulnerable. We feel compromised. Will we take that step or will we continue to look? Will we continue to ponder? Will we continue to desire? And so David, it leads from looking to gazing to then engaging he says, call, call that woman. I, I, I want her to come, and I want to sleep with her. I'm going to add her to my collection of concubines. I'm going to just, yeah, I'm the man. You just, you just bring her this way. You, you just tell her King David wants to see her right now. And he sleeps with her. You know that sin has its consequences? Sin has its pleasures, or else we wouldn't, we wouldn't be enticed by it, right? I'm sure it felt good for David to sleep with that woman. But sin had its consequences because what she became pregnant, right? It's that classic story of, I didn't think it was going to happen. How it happened to me, but it happened to King David, right? So his success created a climate in his heart of sin and enticement and entitlement, and it leads to David's mistake. And that's not even his greatest failure. His greatest failure is to say, you know what, I need to cover this up. He could have stopped and said, you know what, man, we, we slept together, we had a baby that was bad, and I feel awful, and I'm going to make it right, and God, would you forgive me? But he didn't go that route. He says, you know what, I need to fix this. I need to, I need to cover this up somehow. All right, let's put her husband at the, the front lines he eventually has to get to. He, he invites him back home, and you can read the story. He, he invites him back home and tries to, to lure him to sleep with his wife, but you know he's a man of integrity. He says, I, my men are fighting on the battlefield. I'm not going to go and you know sleep with my wife and be a part of that. So David sends him on the front line. He, he intentionally puts him in a place of danger and harm, and Bathsheba's husband is killed, and there's a great cover-up. And the story that gets me as we think about this is it's when the prophet Nathan comes and he confronts David with his sin. So we think of David, this great place of success, this great moment of being, he's the man, feeling like the man. I can cover, I can cover up my sin, the man. You know, we've probably all been there. No one will ever know I'm the man. And then he's confronted with the reality of his sin. It says this in chapter 12. It says, the Lord said to Nathan, sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and he even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man ref uh, refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle 
to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. It says, as David burned with anger against the man. It says, David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. It says this, then Nathan said to David, you the man. You are the man. We could all point our fingers at ourselves and say, I'm the man. There's times in my life where I've felt that moment of success, that moment of pride, that moment of ego, and say, I am the man. There's been times where that has led me to make decisions that probably haven't been the most wise decisions. And when we're faced with those encounters in our life, what will be our response? Will we try to cover it up? Will we try to deny it? Will we get angry? Oh, it's because of this. It's, it's because of this. That's why I did that. And they said this, or my past, or my emotions, or whatever. We can get all denial and angry about it. But what do we do when we're faced with our failure? Will we allow failure to stop us from serving God's purpose? Because if the enemy can't use success to stop us, he will try to use failure to stop you. I can remember going to Bible school with many great young, I mean, at that time we were young, so young men and young women who loved Jesus with all their heart. But a lot of them, sometimes it's success, sometimes it's failure, sometimes it's just a lot of different issues stop them from doing what God's called them to do. Maybe you knew growing up with someone at church or someone that used to be involved teaching or leading, and man, they, God used them mightily, but something in their past, something in their present stopped them from pursuing what God had for their life. They had a David moment. When you're confronted, when I'm confronted, if we're honest, when we're confronted with our sin, what will be our response? David said this. He said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said this in response. The Lord has taken away your sin. David says, I have sinned against. You can just hear the heartbreak. I've sinned. I am the man. I am the guilty one. I have sinned. And Nathan just simply says, the Lord has taken away your sin. Maybe someone needs to hear that today. The Lord has taken away your sin. So whether success has tripped you up or whether failure has tripped you up, God is able to by his grace, to set you free, to forgive you, to give you a new start. When God is on your side, if you're down, you're not out. Stop counting yourself out and start turning back to God. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning?
When God is on your side, if you're down, you're not out. Stop counting yourself out and start turning back to God. I'm not sure what that area in your life is. The area that has maybe tripped you up. You feel like you're just stunted in your walk with the Lord. You're just, you're just not moving forward. Maybe it's an area of success. You've just gotten busy with life and busy with family and busy with work and busy, busy. Success has become an obstacle to you. And you just simply in your heart say, Jesus, I, I've sinned against you. I've got my priorities way out of balance. And as we do that, the scripture says, just like Nathan said to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. So if that's you in your heart, just say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to get my priorities back in order. Help me to remove that idol in my life of success. Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe for you, it's just failure. You feel like you're just like King David being confronted today. And you hear the Lord speaking to you that you are the man. You are the woman. And maybe your initial response was just denial. No, it's not me or no. Or maybe it was anger. But would you respond? Would I respond with a heart like David saying, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. We'd be naive to think that people in today's church still don't wrestle with sexual sin. So maybe it's an area of sexual sin today, just like David wrestled with. He didn't just have one wife, but he had to have multiple wives. And even that wasn't enough for David. He had to have concubines. And even that wasn't enough. He had to go get someone else's wife. I'd be naive to think that someone, maybe many people still wrestle with that temptation, that sexual temptation today. Maybe some have made mistakes in that area in their life. They've slept with people they haven't been married to. They've cheated on their spouses and this is a day for forgiveness this is a day for res restoration this is a day for you to hear God say to you I have taken away your sin not to walk out of this place carrying your sin but saying I have given that to Jesus that's you just in your heart. I'm not asking anyone to raise their hand or stand up or shout, that's me. But you know, if you struggled with sexual sin, would you be honest with the Lord today and say, I have sinned against the Lord.
I have sinned against the Lord. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was in your past and you just never made things right. You just say in your heart, Jesus, I have sinned against the Lord. And as we do that, would you hear God whisper in your ear, I have taken away your sin. I have taken away your sin. I have taken away your sin. God sent his son Jesus to go to that cross for just those moments. Whether success has been an obstacle and or whether failure has tripped us up, God says, I have forgiven your sin. I have taken away your sin. So Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it, but we're so grateful for it. Thank you for your forgiveness. And Jesus, I thank you for new beginnings today. There's someone that's leaving here today with a new beginning. You used to carry a different identity around your neck. But today you're going to carry the identity of I am a child of God whose sins have been forgiven. Jesus has taken away my sins. So, Lord, I just pray for a, a spirit of freedom and liberty, not condemnation. If someone is feeling condemned today, I'd say that's probably just a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just need to make things right today. Or maybe it's just the enemy trying to get you to doubt things. But I pray, I believe for a spirit of freedom and liberty and healing and restoration today. Lord Jesus, what the enemy meant to destroy, Jesus, you are using to bring healing and restoration for your people today. You're releasing us today as your people, Lord, set free, delivered, Lord Jesus. We are no longer what we were. We are no longer the mistakes that we've made. We are no longer the failures that we have been a part of. Lord Jesus, you are releasing us from this place, from this house, in your freedom, in your liberty, in your forgiveness today, Lord Jesus, that we will go out of this place shouting that you have taken away our sin, that Jesus has washed away all of our sins, that we are a child of God. Thank you, Lord.
stay the same, Lord. We want to change and grow into the image of Christ. So Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the new start that you've given each of us today that we can walk out of this place saying, I'm a child of God and my sins have been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Take that forgiveness, that mercy, and that grace with you this week.